Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. What do we do when we're faced with a situation or circumstance that we have no control over? What do we do? When things or circumstances are out of our control, we usually try to find any means necessary to try to hold on to the situation and try to control it. And why do I say that? It's because I'm a human being. (laughs) We try to control it. We try to get things in the hands of our own hands. When things are out of our control, things start to shake for us just a little bit, and we start to try to get in our control, and it goes a different direction than what we wanted Sometimes we turn in other directions, just about every other direction to find another way out. And when things don't go our way, we often find ourselves grabbing more of control of the situation, do we not? We don't need to say amen to that. But normally when things are out of our control, we try to grab things to try to control the situation again. With that thought, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. I believe it's around page 30 of the Bible and in front of you. If you'd like to go there, it's going to be on the screen. But hey, we at this, just, uh, just so you know, we at this church, Washington Union, value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And I pray that you will find a church that does the same thing, that does preach and teach the scriptures faithfully. And that's around page 30 of the Bible in front of you, Genesis chapter 42. And what we have done is we have slowly walked to the story of Joseph. And Joseph is a story all about a family. And let's just kind of starting with this, is oftentimes are not families and our people that are closest to us, can they not cause us the most hurt? right? Families can cause us the most hurt, broken relationships. And a lot of us are walking through very bleak and very dark and very hurtful family dynamics and circumstances. And I'm trusting God in this process as we have walked through the story of Joseph to do a very restorative work and redemptive work in our families. And it's going to begin in Western Pennsylvania. But the real stuff of the Bible, there's a real God working through this story and working through your life. And I just want you to know, if you walked in today And if you're like, I've got this bleak family situation or this bleak circumstance in my friend group or somebody relationship very closest to me has cut me off, I just want you to know that because of the Joseph story, there is hope. (laughs) And because of God, there is hope. And greater than that, there is hope in Jesus. And I just want you to know that there's a God weaving a plan in your life. There is a God weaving a plan, a good plan in your life, and he wants to do a great deal of healing in your families, and he's going to do a great deal of work in your families as well. Maybe for you, maybe it's not necessarily like family for you, but maybe it's the friends that you closest with or the people in your life that are just very, very close to you, Um, and there's a real God working in those circumstances at this point in time. Let me just offer this few points about if you walked in today and you've never heard the story of Joseph, I just kind of want to catch you up because Joseph, the story happens um, throughout the very first book of the Bible from Genesis 37 to 50. It's quite a, quite a number, it's quite a long kind of narrative and story of how it progresses and how the story um, kind of goes. And so I just kind of want to offer a few points. If you've never heard the story of Joseph before, if you walked in today, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard of this story. And Joseph, we said, was a story about a family and he's one of 12 brothers. Uh, and it's, and what we, from the 
very onset of this story, Joseph's father, and you can kind of think of your own family and your own siblings if this relates to you, if you have siblings, but if this relates to you, Joseph's dad overtly loved him more. I mean, very clearly loved him more than all the other people, very verbally and with his action, with his words. I mean, barely loved him more than any other of those relationships. Joseph gets this fancy robe. No other other brothers have this fancy robe. Joseph gets these God-given dreams that are from God, and then he tells his brothers these dreams right from kind of the, kind of the early stages. He tells the brothers these dreams. God gives them to them, and, and, all the, and you can think about your families with this, like, Okay, these dreams were that his brothers were going to bow down to him. So can you imagine this in your family, right? This is kind of the unsurpings of this like family drama and dynamic. And the origins of this Joseph story begin with a family that is riddled with envy and jealousy and things spiral out of control very quickly. His brothers don't like the fact that Joseph has these dreams, even though they're God-given dreams. And then Joseph finds himself, he's already the father's favorite. Joseph then finds himself in a pit. And while his brothers are all plotting his own murder. So they faked his own death by bringing, the, bringing a robe stained in blood to their father. And this Joseph is still alive. They didn't like the fact that he was overly favorite in these dreams. They faked his own death. And while the brothers are at the dinner table having their own meal, uh, he is sold to some merchants passing by. And then those merchants take him all the way to Egypt. Joseph finally, he quickly finds himself, who moves up the Egyptian ranks in the courts. And he, comes, he becomes Potiphar. Potiphar's right-hand man, and Potiphar entrusted everything to Joseph at that point because God was with him. And Potiphar's wife had other plans, accused him of a crime that he did not commit, and he's thrown into prison for something he did not do. And he finds himself, for the better part of 13 years, locked away and finds himself in front of two guys in that prison, a cupbearer and a baker. We're not really too sure why those guys got into prison. We can surmise maybe the cupbearer and the baker, maybe the, uh, maybe the baker put in too many black beans in the chili uh, and he got thrown into prison and uh, what have you. Uh, we're not too sure, but they got into prison and then uh, these, these two guys get into prison, just so happens. And and the, uh, the, both of them have dreams. He tells the cup, the cup bearer is the one who gets out first. And Joseph's like, hey, man, come on, like, do me a favor. Do me a solid, like, get me out of here. Like, help me out, you know? And so he tries to get to the cup bearer, and he's like, hey, man, when you get out, remember me. Remember me. I'm, I'm here. I didn't do this. Just when you get in front of that guy, when you get in front of Pharaoh, like, help me out, man. Like, you know, give me a... Help me out, and uh, the Bible says that, that he was forgotten about. He was completely forgotten about, and the better part of two years passed by, and then Joseph gets in front of Pharaoh and then interprets Pharaoh's dreams. I'm sorry if you're a little confused at this point, but there's a lot of details that kind of happen. Read, read through it if you can. That would be great. Um, and so up until this uh, chapter as well, two years pass until Joseph gets out of prison. He gets in front of Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh has these dreams, and Pharaoh, uh, Joseph interprets those dreams, and, Pharaoh, and Joseph gets in place placed in charge of Pharaoh's palace at this point. And he gets this very high position. He's second in command. And the dreams that Joseph had come to fruition. And then the whole land of Egypt at this point goes through a seven-year famine, and it causes widespread devastation. And famines do that. 
Um, and that's when this 20 years, the 20 years have already passed since Joseph, the beginnings of this now until this time in Egypt. 20 year reunion happens with his brothers and the famine is what causes those brothers to go to Egypt to be, to kind of, to, to, to go to Egypt because Egypt is where all the food was. So this is, this, is a fam- this was all caused by a widespread economic devastating famine over the land of Egypt. And that causes the brothers to hesitate to want to go. And we said and kind of this was, the, this was kind of the point of last week, but those brothers hesitated to go. And I just wonder, why didn't they just jump up at the opportunity to go? If you have a widespread famine in the land, you are scarce of, you are scarce of food. You don't have enough food like your family is hungry. I mean, why wouldn't you just like jump up, boom, get up, let's go to Egypt, let's go get the food. And I think because they knew exactly where Egypt was 20 years ago when they sold their brother into slavery in Egypt, and they hesitated to go. They haven't fully dealt with their past and hadn't fully owned up to it, what they had done to their brother. And they knew this was coming back to get them. And now, 20 years later, their previous sin was coming to light in order to make genuine hope and healing possible. God, church, God often places a light toward the sin that we haven't fully dealt with in order to bring about true healing. He often places a light on that. Just because the sin and the offense that you and I maybe have committed 20 years ago does not mean the distress is forgotten about by time. It lingers, and if it's not dealt with, it will linger. And this isn't karma, but this is sin. This is separation, as the Bible calls it, separation from God. And it's God's way of exposing the darkness in us, like shining a light on this to bring about, not to guilt but to bring us into a new day of freedom if it's not fully, if it has not been fully repented of and dealt with yet. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name's David. David was a guy after God's own heart, and yet David made mistakes, and David gives me hope. David made mistakes, God, man after God's own heart. God, uh, he committed adultery and then plotted to kill that person's husband, Uriah. And he writes about how that sin began to fester in his heart in Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with a fever heat of summer. And this is the effects of sin if it's not fully dealt with. And it's what happens when sin begins to linger is literally that David's saying my body is wasting away because sin is lingering within me. So amidst a widespread famine, this is the backdrop, which would have caused devastation economically, socially, at every point, at every part of society, they're clouded with judgment based on what they did 20 years prior. You see, no matter how much we try to claw or drown out that thing or circumstance of our past, it never seems to fully go away. And if you recall, they sell him to these merchants that were passing by. I'd argue that according to that exchange way back in Genesis chapter 37, they knew where he was going. And here it is again in Egypt. They knew this is kind of like, we've got to go back to Egypt to find food. We did this to our brother back into Egypt. And now they're kind of fully kind of trying to reconcile this together. And for those brothers, it's a big gulp and a guilty conscience. Hesitation on their minds to go. I mean, it's what a guilty conscience can do. It can cloud our judgment and sin can do that for us. I mean, you're in a famine with no food and you mean to tell me that you're hesitating to go. 
starving families, and they're crippled by their guilt, they cannot look God in the face. Those brothers hesitated due to the fact that even though they were middle-aged men with families and the like, trying to feed their families, what had happened 20 years before was now catching up to them. They hadn't fully dealt with it. But at every turn in the Joseph story, could it be, church, that God causes famines to expose us to a past that we thought we could forget? Could it be? Famines, places and seasons, maybe in your life, maybe it's currently, places of utter dryness and devastation, of hunger and thirst in your life can bring about, God can bring about true hope and healing that cannot be experienced otherwise if it weren't a famine happening in your life. I mean, think of Joseph. He certainly, Joseph could have inflicted a lot of pain. Being so high up in the Egyptian courts, he could have inflicted a lot of pain. Could have inflicted a lot of hurt upon his brothers. He had a lot of power in those days. Could have inflicted so much punishment of what he did. And he could have had the cupbearer killed, that guy who put him through those couple years of more prison time that he didn't deserve as well. And yet, well, we find Joseph, God weaving his character and his story at every turn. So, Genesis 42, we find the brothers coming to Egypt. They need food because there's this famine. And they collectively begin to own the sin of their brother. They start, to, they start to kind of, they start to sort of see this in those few verses um, in chapter 42. They start to kind of collectively own this. And they meet Joseph, the first part of this, they meet Joseph. They can't recognize who he is at the time because he's changed his language. His language has changed from the Egyptian or to the Egyptian language. And they find silver in their sacks on their way home. So those brothers who had unjustly and then very cruelly put Joseph in the pit, sold him into slavery, had placed a ton of grief and weight on Joseph's life, are given silver on their way back home. 20 years of prison time in a land, that, in a new language, and he had all the memories of a, of a place, of a life that he did not expect or anticipate. Yet as the story goes, Joseph puts silver in their sacks on the way home. And what happens when they come home is quite interesting and telling and for the brothers and for their father, Jacob. So verse 29, chapter 42, 29, goes like this. When they came to their father who? Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. And this person was Joseph. Joseph was disguised at this point. They didn't recognize him and different language and probably different appearance at this point, maybe a different, maybe a different change of voice or something like that. But bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. And as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver as they were telling this story. When they and their father saw their money pouches, they were what? Frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Can we kind of like, can we kind of like dramatize this just a little bit? It's like, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Have you ever said that before or heard somebody say that? Everything's against me. Anyone ever heard that? 
we won't name, but we've said that before. Let's, let's be real, right? Sort of a negative thing. Everything is against me. You deprive me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. And Simeon, actually, they, what they had said, Simeon was alive. And at this point, I would imagine that Jacob's kind of assuming the worst, and he's saying, no, Simeon is no more. He's dead. But if you listen or read the story, Simeon was actually alive. Everything is against me. So you can kind of hear Jacob's voice in this, okay, kind of going to negative circumstances, right? Then Reuben said to his, his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I don't bring him back to you. Okay, so now they're going to go get, now they're going to go get Simeon. And Reuben talks, kind of speaks up, and says, like, something incredulous. Like, you can put both of my sons to death if we don't bring them back. It must be like this, they're going to do this, and you better trust me, kind of thing. It's kind of crazy. And trust him to my care, and I will bring him back. So Jacob says this, But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you, His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. And I just had to kind of write, my son will not go down there with you. He has 12 sons. He says, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. And at this point, I just like have to say, like, Jacob, like, you've got 12 sons, why are you referring to him as his brother? Why wouldn't you say, my son? My son is dead, and he is the only one left. And if we know anything about the Jacob story, is that Jacob literally in the Bible means deceiver. And he also, this story with Jacob, he's got a lot of favorites. And Benjamin and Joseph are overtly the favorites in this family. And he's saying, his brother is dead, and he's the only one left. I don't know about you, but a father referring to that, his, only, his son as that is a little just kind of alarming to me. There's 12, there's 12 sons. You know, it's just, you know. Um, anyway, if harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Okay, so that's kind of the, those few verses as well. The irony here is this. This is kind of how this happens. When, when the brothers are there, they're going to go back to get Simeon, and they're going to go back to Egypt. The irony here on the journey home is this, even on the journey home, is that there isn't a repentance of sin to Joseph, and there's no ownership of it to their father, Jacob. They don't own the sin that they had done 20 years ago. And as I read this story, they start to begin to, they begin this process of healing when they come to Egypt. They collectively start to own this, but they begin to walk down the road in chapter 42, verse, verse 21. We didn't read this. We read this last week. We said this. This is the brothers saying this collectively. We are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. There's this like honest sense of like, we know what we did wrong to him. We know what we did. We faked his own death to, our, to his own father. We know we did our brother wrong, but here when they come home, it's like, it's very, it's sort of strange. 
But if we think about this for a second, we know this. We know that due to the famine, Joseph's brothers are forced to find food. Egypt's the place to find food. They come to Egypt and they get their food. They get their food. They get filled up. They get silver. They get, they get God, all that God has provided them for. And it's so great. On top of that, they get those silver in their sacks. Like they did not deserve that on their journey home. And God's fingerprints are all across the story. And there's a greater purpose and a plan behind the story. And Joseph's stipulation are that please bring the youngest brother back, which is Benjamin. That was the stipulation that Joseph had, probably so he could see him again to see if he was alive. And despite them getting food, despite them getting silver in their sacks, Joseph's response is this. Let's read it again. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw their money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I don't bring him back to you, and entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. And Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And I just had this thought process as I kind of read this. Okay, you got your journey home. You got food. This is a widespread famine. Mouths are being fed. You're trying to feed your families on your way home. And rather than thanking the Lord for all the food and all the silver and thanking the Lord that they are under his care, they come home in fear. There's a word there that is frightened. In order to bring about complete repentance of a history that they thought that they could forget, God was starting to kind of shine a light on this and start to illuminate their past. And I wonder if God often does the same way in our lives. Does he deal with that in the same way? A process of that was a real wrong that they did to their brother, and God often shines a light on our past in order to bring about redemption, in order to bring about his purposes. We learn from the Joseph story, it is not a way for God to overtly like kind of throw the hammer down on this, but it is sin. That is sin and needs to be dealt with in order to have God's light shine on that, in order to bring us into the life that God intends for us to live with him. This story tells us a lot about Joseph. But we learn a lot about this story from Jacob, and it's Jacob, not just a lesson for Joseph's brothers in general, but it's also for Jacob. And here we see the person of Jacob coming forward. And notice that his response is hesitant. It's this, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And if you read that, you can honestly say, because he believes that Joseph is dead, but what we know is that Joseph is alive. And when there's a part of me when I read that, I can say, I can't blame the guy. Joseph isn't aware that, ja that he's, that Jacob isn't aware that Joseph is alive. But as the account goes, Jacob, in his past, Jacob had his favorite wife, Rachel, and the Bible clearly says this, his favoritism kind of all across this account. He had a favorite wife named Rachel. And, Joseph, and he had Joseph and Benjamin from that, from his favorite wife, Rachel. Um, the Bible does not endorse polygamy, uh, by the way. Uh, but, but Joseph and Benjamin come from Rachel. And as the Genesis account tells us, Rachel dies in childbirth while giving birth to Benjamin. I can understand this hesitation from this. 
And it begs the question, and I can, I can empathize with him not wanting to lose any kids, not wanting to lose any children, the last child of Rachel. But he sort of turns this on himself, and not to the other brothers. He had, he had also other brothers there, too, and as the patriarch of the family. What about the other brothers and their safety, too? I mean, this is a question I had for him. Like, what about all the other brothers that you have? What about their safety going back? I mean, and here's Jacob in the Bible times. He's called the patriarch of the family, meaning that he is sort of the head of the household, kind of the spiritual leader of the family, and a little short-sighted in his thinking, a little negative in his thinking. Can we not go that way too? A little negative in his thinking. And the brothers have told him already that all they want in Egypt is the youngest to come, and Jacob automatically assumes the worst is going to happen without truly listening. You see, trials in life can frequently be seen as God trying to harm us. But is it possible that while we're in that posture, we miss out on what God is doing? Maybe we sometimes miss out, and it's not to diminish the pain that we are in, not to diminish the hurt, not to diminish the, the sorrow, the, the pain, the struggle that we are in, but maybe if we're in that posture, we miss the bigger picture of what God is trying to do and what God is doing in our life. A lot of fear underpinning this account. God was working in this account. And what we fail to see is oftentimes God's purposes around all of it and his gifts around all of it. I know that I'm a human being and we often, humans, we relegate to negative thinking, self-pity, and fear. This, though, was God in complete control over this account. Jacob was trying to put himself in the driver's seat when simply the request was to bring Benjamin to Egypt. And he's also unable to listen to his son. I think we also maybe a little learn a lesson here. He's unable to listen to his oldest son, Reuben. And he makes this incredulous offer to have two of his sons killed. I promise I'm going to do it. I'll have two of my sons killed. He's so sure about that. And Jacob totally dismisses that and turns it inward. Just totally dismisses that. Maybe there's a lesson there to be learned maybe with our own kids or listening to them too. I'm just, just as maybe, just a thought for that. Verse 1 of chapter 43 says, Now the famine was still severe, still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, What? Go back and buy us a little bit more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. And so sometimes, and honestly, the Bible is a little confusing with some of these names, because the name of, specifically the name of Israel because Jacob, Jacob's name changes to Israel, and Israel is the people of God, and it's also a person who has changed his name, Jacob, to Israel. So this is Jacob, it's changed his name to Israel, and it also describes a group of people called the Israelites. Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had an older brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? 
Then Judah speaks up and he says to Israel, Jacob, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. And if I don't bring him back to you and set him there before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. And as it is, as if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Jacob said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take them down to the man as a gift, a little balm and a little honey and some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds, and take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty, the first time that word shows up in that account, that he refers to the God Almighty specifically, grant you mercy before the man so that he will, will let your older brother, other brother, and Benjamin come back with you. And in the last verse, he says, As for me, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. And they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. So when life is unfair... When we feel like circumstances and life is, so, is very unfair, how can we live into a deeper awareness of God at work in our life? That's the question. Could it be that when we focus only on ourselves and then lack faith in God, we lose sight of God's goodness all around us? Then they got the food. They've gotten the food they needed. They got the silver in their sacks. They were told what they would happen to Joseph's brother. And yet, in this account we find Jacob concerned with favoritism. All the brothers have a risk of going back. And I would imagine as Jacob, as a spiritual leader, he had been held the promises of God. God had told him that he would be a great name. He had told him this. He was promised that he would, his, his name would be revered. And as a patriarch, he'd be the spiritual leader of the household. And I mean, can you imagine your own father saying this to you collectively, I only have one son left, and there's many sons still left. I've only got one son left. And the other brothers are looking at each other like, are you serious? Like, you've got to be kidding me right now. So I just want to suggest this. This is some, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Bible scholars way smarter than me on several accounts believe that, Joe, that this story in Jacob's, this account in Jacob's life, in this story, um, that he was going to get very alone with God. And on several occasions in Jacob's life, J God and Jacob were alone. This is sort of this account that very personal with God. God got very personal with Jacob and on very, very, very personal with God. And the name Israel actually means, when God changed his name to Israel, means wrestled with God. There's a part of this Jacob story when, when he and God get in a wrestling match. It's Genesis 32. And he gets, he, uh, it, this is wrestling match with God, and uh, his hip is injured, and he's limping, and uh, limping around for the rest, I imagine him limping around for the rest of his life because of, this, because of this wrestling match he gets with God. And I look back on Jacob's life, and I just wonder, like, why was he still the way that he was after all of those years, after all that God was trying to do to get his attention, after all the things that God and him had been through? Why was Jacob the way that he was? And I often wonder, like, isn't that true for me, too? 
Like after all these years, isn't God still trying to get all of our attention? After all of these years, after even Jacob's story, I find myself a lot like Jacob a lot of the time. I mean, why? I often, I, I looked at this and I was like, why is Jacob still making mistakes? And I think God was trying to get Jacob alone again. There's something very alone that only God can do and accomplish when we are truly alone with God. It's just you and me and God. Something very alone that only God can do when we're alone together. And truly wrestling with God. To be alone with God means through wrestling through the things that we don't want to wrestle with. And for Jacob, it meant allowing, letting go and allowing God to be the sole controller of his life, including letting go of Benjamin. Uh, Steve Elliott is an author. He says it like this. For us, that means surrendering all the areas of life we don't want to what? Surrender. It will mean submitting to a will that is not our own, coming to terms with God on his terms, not our terms. No bargainer's prayer, just the true sinner's prayer. Not the, the, the bargainer prayer, kind of like God, where we ask God, we ask God, God, get, if you get me out of this mess, then I'll be good after that when it happens. If you get me out of this mess, God, then I'll start to try to trust you a little bit more. If you do this for me, then I'll start trusting you. And the true kind of sinner's, like kind of the true sinner's prayer is, God, I am a sinner. Please show mercy on me on my life. Show mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I don't have it all together. Church, have we been negotiating with God all along when what he really wants is just utter submission and surrender and faith throughout every situation? Have we been negotiating and bargaining with God when all that he really wants in life is utter submission and surrender and faith in every single situation. And is today for you that moment where God meets you where you are? Not where you want to be in five years. Not where you're like, when, when my life gets straightened out, when, when, when things settle down in my life, when the dust settles, when life gets a little less chaotic. Right? Maybe you've been like Jacob. You haven't been like 100% honest with yourself and with God. Maybe you started to struggle to try to reach, to kind of try to reach God in some choppy waters. And maybe you have placed the army in front of you and have gone up maybe in defense mode perhaps. Maybe it is time to just get honest with God. Maybe you've been focused of sort of on the all the other things, like what could possibly happen rather than simply coming to God where you are currently and asking Him to do what only He can do and surrendering yourself even in this moment right now. Whatever the case may be, the Jacob account reassures us. What is so encouraging about the Jacob account is that God is so relentless toward His people. He does not let Jacob go. He does not... He does not give him, he does not, he does not leave him out to dry. But in fact, the story of the Bible and the story of what God's people, what happens through this is that God is so stubbornly loving <laughs> toward us. He's not going to give up. And he will never give up. And he doesn't give up on Jacob. We don't have to have ourselves fully put together in order for God 
to meet us right where we are. Because that's where God wants us, is exactly where we are, exactly in this moment, in this time. The nation of Israel, the God, God would, would make himself known. The, the very group of people that God in the Old Testament would make himself known to all the other nations actually means wrestled with God. And God calls that family, Jacob's, changes Jacob's name to show that it is, yes, it is okay to wrestle through things. And it is okay to wrestle. God isn't surprised He knows we struggle with that, and he knows we will wrestle. And maybe God is wanting your love, your passion, your heart today. And do know this, that he does eventually release Benjamin to the brothers in this chapter, and Simeon also comes back as well. What thing do we carry in our lives that might need to be abandoned because it offers us a false hope or a false sense of security? Maybe it's today the time to really come to grips, come to -to face-to-face with the God of the universe who loves you, who died for you, who is so, uh, who pursues you, who, who is for you, who died for you, who loved you, who created the galaxies and created you just for you. And where you are right now, such a time as this, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's that circle. For such a time as this, there's a poem that goes like this. It's anonymous. It says, when God wants to drill a man or a woman and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways. Into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. You see, all of us are becoming jars of clay. Into trial shapes jars of clay in which only God understands. Know this, that we are more than conquerors. As Romans says, we are more than conquerors. (laughs) We are all being molded into jars of clay. We are all works in progress in this story, in this family. You know that God so relentlessly loved Jacob And he will not let you go in this struggle as well. What I find so encouraging about this story is it is very challenging. It's also very encouraging (laughs) to know that God would not let Jacob go and always be, be, (laughs) be right next to him. And even in our struggle in life, even if it's our family struggle, that God does not let Jacob go. And there's hope for you. There's hope for your story. But maybe it's time to get really honest with God. Maybe it's time for that. And maybe time for your experience in this. To just get really personal and really be 100%, you and God, totally honest with Him. Let's pray together.